Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark. And before we jump into this episode, I want to thank our sponsors, AKG, for the incredible Lyra mic and the headphones that they've sent. It's part of their Podcasters Essentials Kit, and it's the most affordable way to get high-quality gear to do your own podcast. Tim Foljan has had a very interesting career. He's worked with Steve Shelley, Lee Ronaldo, and Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth. He's toured extensively with Jad Fair, Half Japanese, Cat Power, Thurston Moore, Towns Van Zant, and others. He's been in a TV band called Sideboob on Orange is the New Black, and he's pursuing a master's degree in psychoanalysis. And he has a new album coming out. It's called I Dream to Dream, and it'll throw some of the coolest curveballs at you. Check it out on Cart Horse Records, pre-ordered on their site or at timfoyan.com. He's on social media at $2 Guitar. And follow us at Performance ANX. Rate and review. It helps us a lot. You can buy us a coffee with no commitment at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Merch is at performanceanx.threadless.com. Now let's jump right into this conversation with Tim Foyan on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tim Folion. I'm uh, I'm on performance anxiety. I've got performance anxiety. Um, I'm going to be talking about the record I've got coming out called "I Dreamed a Dream" and a bunch of other stuff. We talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, I hope you uh, tune in. Oh, man. Thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome. All right. Let me just get myself situated here a little bit. Man, it is dark in this room. I got to get lights. But I got some, <laughs> My house is so old. I've got like all the lights have to be plugged into the wall. I don't have any actual lighting in the room. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's all right, though. I like the, you know, the overhead lighting can get oppressive. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. and But the blue light from the uh, computer is very right. calming, right? It's a look. Yeah, yeah. it's a look. <laughs> uh, let's see. So let me get back to my page. See, this is... I was doing research, and I like to do a lot of research on my guests. I like to, I like to find things that I can ask about that you haven't been asked over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I figure, what's the point of doing an interview if it's the same interview somebody else did? But... Your career is, there's just so much of it. I, I have like almost three pages of notes and I feel like I'm unprepared. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so um, we'll, I'll, I'll hit on as many things as I can. I also don't want to keep you here for like seven hours. So, well, what, what, for your personal interest, what, what, uh, was interesting? Well, the first thing I want to know is I want to know about, how you started playing? I mean, was there were there guitar lessons? Was it another instrument? Was there a lot of music going on in the house? There was music. My mom had been a singer when she was younger, and so she would. Uh, there was always a lot of music in the house, and I remember being young and her like uh, getting me records that I couldn't really. You know, she'd buy me like forty fives, which was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, but I remember specifically her getting me this Aretha Franklin 
single, which I couldn't really appreciate at the time. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like respect or some kind of up tempo like that. It was like a real like barn burner torch song, you oh, know, wow. heartbreak, you know, and it was really, but that's what she liked, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but like at that, you know, I was just a little kid, but I was, uh, you know, I was into the Archies and stuff. Oh, okay. Hey, well, you know, I think a lot of people were, they... um, but, uh, yeah, it was, so there was music around and I listened to music and, and, uh, it took a while for me to understand that music was made by people, actual people somewhere in a room playing, you know, I thought it was, I don't know what I thought, but it was, it was all pretty abstract to me. And I started oh, yeah. to figure that out and that was something. When did you start playing an instrument? Was that something that you wanted to do or was it something that your parents made you do? No, I, I did. No, I wish my mother, it was weird. My mother did not, uh, I think in her mind, I was not extremely musical. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, cause she was like, she had perfect pitch and stuff and I oh, definitely wow. did not. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, they, I, she got me some guitar lessons uh, when I was quite young, but it was on a guitar that, you know, we bought at a drugstore and it was really unplayable. Yeah. And, uh, I took some, um, lessons from a hippie lady that taught me and tried to teach me how to play puff the magic dragon and it kind of bailed but then much later i did start taking some lessons and uh got an electric guitar when i was you know 14 15 okay and this is all in kalamazoo area no, midland midland, oh, midland. okay yeah the home of the home of dow chemical oh there you go <laughs> <laughs> So when did you decide that this was something that you liked doing and you wanted to play with other people and play out in public in a band? That started, I mean, like I was, you know, in high school, I did start playing with some people and uh, I wasn't very good, but I found some other people who were also not very good. <laughs> and, uh, and I started playing with them and they had, you know, they had charisma and that, uh, and so we did some shows then. I mean, I really liked, I, I got very into you know, rock and roll in general. And, um, so I was just really interested in, in the lifestyle, you know, I, you know, it's still small town stuff though. So we were pretty much making it up as we went along, you know? Okay. We'd, we'd look at records and be like, yeah, I want to be like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where you met Steve Shelley? I met him in Midland. Yeah. And we, we had actually gone to the same high school, but we didn't know each other in high school, but after oh. high school we met and he actually was in a band with, one of the guys that I had been in a band with earlier in in uh, high school, and so there was a connection there. Okay, yeah. and so you guys got together and formed these spastic rhythm tarts. We were. I was when I went to Kalamazoo. I hooked up with um, Mike Love and Sherry Fight, and those are their real names. And, um, <laughs> uh, and I was. They neutralized each other. We had a trio um, for for a while, and it was pretty art damaged. And we we uh we could like clear a basement in no time. <laughs> and um, and then I got and I and Steve had gotten me in a band in East Lansing, and then called Faith and Morals. And then I'd been play, playing with Steve on and off when I'd go back to Midland, and and uh, then I got him involved in the in the spastic rhythm tarts and. Which is the case a lot when Steve joins a band, it becomes a lot more, you know, he brings a lot to the table. So okay. he brings a lot of like song 
you know, it, it changes things. So oh, yeah. he, so the band changed quite a bit when he, when he joined it. And uh, so that's how that worked. Was playing there. What really made you want to become a, mu- a professional musician or was, was there something else that, that really steered you towards that as, as a career? Yeah. I don't know if I was still at that point. I mean, I don't know if I ever, uh, to this day, I don't know if I've ever really looked at it as a career, <laughs> you know? Um, I, uh, it was not like that. Then it was super art damaged. Right. And, uh, so it was very just expressive and, and expressionistic in a lot of ways. So there was, it was kind of anti-career in a way, but we had, <laughs> we had aspirations though, because it was a different world. You know, the eighties, yeah. it was kind of a free for all, but it, you know, I mean, to put it more in a, in a more blunt way, like it wasn't until the nineties I ever made any money from music. Okay. You know, so that, so as far as it wasn't a, there was never a career stuff, but I knew it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And so I kept doing, you know, there were periods in the eighties where I really didn't have a band, but I was recording at home or I was doing something, you know, was doing, I was always thinking about it. So it was always part of your life, even if it wasn't the main focus. Yeah, you know, because it was sort of a part of the art thing. You know, I was sort of a painter, so I, so I, you know, and I went to school in New Mexico, and but I was still making tapes and talking about music, very involved in the music scene. You oh, know, okay. So just it was, it was always there, but it wasn't. It. it uh, I don't know if I. I mean, I was definitely a musician, but I don't know if I kind of thought about it in that. And, and you know, the '80s was kind of like that anyway. There was this huge smear between art and music like there was not the the division that there is now i don't think it was it 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 all kind of got mushed together yeah yeah you're right i mean i was i was you know that's i was growing up at that point so it i was listening to a lot of different stuff that's one of the cool things that i always look back on is the the differences in styles that were just played on the radio yeah, you know, you know, you'd, you'd have Tears for Fears, and, and even MTV back at then. You'd have a Tears yeah. for Fears song would come on, and then you know, the Art of Noise would come on immediately after. So, right, know, it, it was. We great. were talking around. I was talking to somebody. We were talking, talking, talking to my girlfriend just the other night, and we were just thinking about how, and it was seemed all normal at the time, but like, Devo had a hit. Yeah, like Devo had a huge hit. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? You know, like, that's crazy. <laughs> on the radio, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, huge. Exactly, yeah. And and somehow they ended up working with Neil Young. Yeah, yeah, which which makes more sense than having a top 40 <laughs> hit for Devo because where they came, you know, I mean, they were so that, uh, you know, and I always loved them from the beginning and they were, but they were out. I mean, that was some out shit. They yeah. Were all, Stuff. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's a podcast. You can say what you want. Oh, cool. So, All right. <laughs> so then you started to to move around, and you ended up in Chicago, New Orleans, Albuquerque, and but you ended up in Hoboken. Yeah, Hoboken. How Hoboken did that happen? Was, well, that was because of Steve, because he actually had been. You know, he would we'd run into him. Uh, we put on a show for his band Sonic Youth at, in New Mexico, and. You know, so we we stayed in touch, you know, yeah. and uh, we had sort of run out of road. I was married at the time and we had kind of our, our lives <laughs> had become a little uh, dark. Yeah. And um, so 
you know, Steve was like, I, I, you know, apartments are cheap here. I can get you an apartment. So that was the first time in a long time that we had moved towards something. We didn't, you know, we did a lot of moving away from things. And uh, so we, we actually moved there and that's, and so I got that, got a cheap apartment, you know? Oh yeah. uh, and then I've been here ever since. That's good. I I used to go to Hoboken. I used to live in New Jersey, so I'd go to Maxwell's every once in a while. Yeah. And yeah. At least that was the one of the coolest places around. I was there four nights a week, probably for Jeez. most of the nineties. Oh, man. so I probably yeah, ran into you at some point. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, when did you decide? Uh, or I guess maybe the better better way to phrase this is: How did two dollar guitar come to be? Um. That was, uh, you know, I was working on some songs and, and, uh, recording them on four track and stuff like that. And, and, uh, Steve had started a label and he was just like, well, I'll, I could put that. I kind of like that song. It's messed up. I'll yeah. put that out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, that, that's it. Cause it's, it's got this weird menacing slackerness to the sound of it. It's, it's a, a little creepy. Sometimes it's just got, it's like space needle meets silence of the lambs, <laughs> which and I, I love space needle and silence of the lambs is a cool movie. So it kind yeah. of works for me, but yeah. um, like blood on the palm, that's gotta be one of the creepiest songs I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. I know that she is up in heaven. And we're going straight to hell Oh, sweet Mary What do we do now? The baby is unburied But it's a great song. And so the first album was... Let me bring you down. Yep. But the title track wasn't till the second album. Right. The, I'm always the, curious about that when that yeah. happens. Well, it was a, just a, um, it was just a phrase that oh. I thought was kind of humorous <laughs> yeah. for the first one. And, uh, and the, but then it came up as a refrain for the second, you know, it just, I don't know that happens. There's a whole thing, I guess with my records, there is like this, Echo things show up on the next record from the last record a lot. I guess. Okay, I guess that there's a couple songs that have shown up that way, and and uh, definitely some uh, some riffs, some musical ideas. Yeah. So was there a progression? Because when you were in the Kalamazoo area, you were more hardcore. The music was a little more hardcore, from what I understand. I tried finding yeah. some, and I couldn't. So it was, well, that single's great, and it it's not really exemplary of of what we were doing at the time exactly. But there's a it, that band became Strange Fruit, which I was in a little bit, and then Steve was in for quite a while, and that's a little more, I think, like what it was. But it was that was, I would think at the time would have been described more as noise. Okay, you know, and it then, was a noise band. Yeah, and then but we played with hardcore bands. Okay, okay, <laughs> so that that makes a little more sense then to me. But then. By the time you started Two Dollar Guitar, there's more of an Americana slacker, almost like yeah. a pavement feel to the music. Was there a, a progression, or was it you just kind of got tired and you wanted to to try something Slip new? 
Yeah, slow down. Well, I think I had just gotten really into the songwriter thing, you know, okay. like um, listening to a lot of, uh, you know, like Leonard Cohen and stuff like that and Towns Van Zandt and, and uh, really interested in that kind of songwriting, you know, and of course I was still listening to Nick Cave now that he wasn't in the birthday party anymore. Yeah. And, they, you know, and, and there'd been this, you know, so there, there was that, you know, and Scott Walker, I think I was just interested in, in, a you know, in all this old country stuff. And, yeah. um, I don't know. I was just in interested in this darker, slower sound, you know, I'd always, I remember as a kid, I'd been into like, you know, who is it that, you know, sings, you've lost that loving feeling in the, is that the Chambers brothers? Oh, the Righteous, Righteous Brothers. Righteous Brothers. The Righteous yeah. Brothers. And, uh, um, you know, just the low singing thing that was kind of creepy. Oh, like the Bill Medley kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like the, I like that. That always was a, as a thing as a kid. I guess that came back. Wanted to be able to do that. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it was just a... It was just musical growth. Yeah, I think Maybe. it was getting a little. Well, no, I don't know. I I listened to. I mean, I think that. Or just a change in taste. Get, but then, like the Spastic Rhythm Tarts was definitely one of the greatest bands I was ever in. It was, the, it was so good. They one were of the so greatest good. names. They were they were so good, and it was like I could you know I'm not that person anymore. None of us are, so you could really couldn't do the. But they, you know, it was a fantastic thing that couldn't happen again. You know. Yeah. So the third album ends up being all instrumental. Was that the plan from the start for $2 guitar? No, that record. I wish I could remember how that, I think it had to do with the uh, gosh. Cause it, I, in my memory, I'm thinking we recorded that at, at easily. I would have to look at the record, but it seems like some of it happened at the Jolly Roger studio also, but okay. we were like, uh, <laughs> I think it must have been done at G Jolly Roger because I think it was a new studio and they were offering a studio studio time to get it up and running. Okay, I think that must be how it happened. But it was a um, we'd been thinking about we'd been you know because we in those days, which some people still do, but not too many in New York. Well, you know, but you had this thing where you just played with the band every week, and so we'd just be working out the things, and we just had this sort of somewhat improvisational thing going on okay that we were into and so we had these grooves and and uh it was really nice to not have to come up with lyrics and not to not you know and, and not uh, have to sing because i wasn't too confident in my singing and And uh, it turned out to be one of the most popular, popular, <laughs> popular records we did, which I don't know what that says about my singing. But... I don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you, the, the, the album Weak Beats and Lame Ass Rhymes wins my vote for the best album title of all time. Oh, good. I absolutely love that title. <laughs> but during that time, you're also collaborating and touring with a lot of people. Um, 
Half Japanese, uh, yeah. Cat Power, Thurston Moore. How did that come about? How did how did, was that something that you were looking for work, or, or did some were people just saying, "Hey, you know, I, I like your sound. Why don't you come and play with us?" It started with Jad. It started, you know, because of Steve. Steve was playing with Jad. El Jad Fair. Jad, Jad Fair and Friends was the thing he was doing then, and they were doing a show in Philly, and uh, um, Steve said, you know, Jad says, bring your guitar. You know, you sit in on a couple songs. And um, I get there, and Jad wants me to play the whole set. He's <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what song you play as long as you're playing a song. And so, okay. and so we did that. And then I, he seemed to like it apparently. And so then he had me tour with him in Europe and stuff. And that was the beginning of, of, uh, stuff. And then just weird things would happen. I'd get asked to drive for the boredoms and ended up playing. Right. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I think, and you know, and Steve and I sort of developed this drum and in those days it was kind of de rigueur to not have a bass player. So I would, we, we, we got these, these gigs as sort of the we were trying to do the sly and robbie of of uh indie rock you know oh. but um, <laughs> but, uh, um but uh we got so we'd get set up as a rhythm section a lot for people okay. you know and, and like met sean at a show steve was playing with the raincoats oh, and yeah. um and sean opened up and she was great and so i followed her around and talked to her and stuff like that and and she needed a band then, and so we ended up playing with her. And okay, you know, it just is happenstance. I mean, the Thurston thing was more deliberate. Yeah, he knew me. You know, how did you get hooked up with Town Van Zant? That was through Steve, and that was uh, via uh, Mud Honey. They had his connection, and Steve was a huge fan of Towns, and we'd gone to see him a couple times and talked to him, and he turned me on to Towns, and. Uh, um, Steve had set up this thing and right then he was, um, you know, Sonic Youth had some sway at Geffen. And so he had made this mixtape of, of town songs and, you know, and so he worked up this deal with Geffen where they could do a re-release of some hits and also a new record. Oh, cool. You know? And so, uh, we met with him a few times. It was always an adventure. So, and unfortunately you were working on something with him when he passed. Yeah, we were, it was New Year's and and uh, yeah, we were in the studio the night before, and he had we didn't we knew he was he was messed up, but he had broken his hip actually, oh, and wow. so finally he had to go in the hospital, and then he so the next you know on New Year's Day he, he uh, yeah he passed away, yeah. but he got to get home first, which was a good thing. Oh, that's good. Oh man, so is is, is that how you really I guess really started in the sidekick business because you you played and toured with so many people. So I guess it's, that's that's kind of the start of it. Would work with the happenstance and just yeah, yeah. People finding you know, out just in, in being meeting people and and uh, you know all kinds of you know ended up playing with uh, Christina Rosenvinga from from Spain because yeah. she was working with Lee Ronaldo and you know and just uh, you know just a bunch of different things happen and then get her to sing on my record and. She's actually singing on the new record. Yeah. It was a coup to get that in. That was totally like she was in town and I'm, could you do this? And she totally came over, wrote the parts. She was so wow. ready to work. It was crazy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was really lucky because I'd been trying to figure out how to make 
that happen, and then it, she just showed up. It was <laughs> kind of magical. All right, so I have a question about Thurston Moore. Cause okay. You've worked with him a lot. You, you, you know, you're all over the Psychic Hearts album. Yeah, he's completely insane. That, okay, that's, that Certi- was one question. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of his music sounds accidental. Like... Uh, but well, what would like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, like, um, uh, I guess that, that was the a weird way to put it. I guess like, um, found sounds like if, if you're, you guys are rehearsing something or you may be recording it, but something isn't quite right, but it sounds better. He'll keep it. It sounds, it sounds kind of like, well, there's a, there's, I'm not I putting think there's it always in the right room way. for that. There's always room for that. Okay. Um, but I would say that Thurston is one of the more most deliberate players I know. Okay. So it's very, um, I mean, a lot of that is built in and a lot of it, but I mean, there's always, I think there's always room and he, you know, he's a great improviser, but it's because he is very deliberate in his, where he's going. Probably I would guess that uh, uh, probably not very much of what sounds accidental is. Okay. I would it, guess. I, I'll go back to uh, a story that I'd heard about, Matthew Sweet and and mm-hmm. it, it kind of hearing Thurston Moore makes me think of this story and it's that um, when he was recording I guess it's maybe some of the Altered Beast album I don't know if it was Richard Lloyd or or, or Robert one of the guitars had uh, dropped his guitar or something while they were playing like the the strap broke and it yeah. it hit something and it made this weird sound and he's like oh keep it that sounds that's great yeah. so that that's what I kind of mean by the accident. It sounds like, well, yes. And I, but I think that Thurston, you know, the way he plays guitar, there is a conscious looking for those things all the time. So yeah, they're all, I mean, I think, and I kind of think that all uh, guitar is such a wacky instrument, especially um, electric guitar. In some ways it's all found sounds. You know, because it's never really in tune. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's just you know it's. It, but I've been thinking about this found sounds thing a lot, and I do think I think that um, I think that Thurston would probably be really pleased that that's how it sounds. That is because he you know he was totally into that tradition of a prepared piano, yeah. you know, cage and stuff like that. So yeah. there's things there that are are out of your control. But that said. Thurston's very deliberate in his, in what he puts out, you know, like it's, it's, it's pretty deliberate playing. Okay. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. When did you decide to start doing solo albums instead of band work? Well, the, the, I guess the last $2 guitar record was something I made in my house. Okay. by myself uh it just all you know the the band sort of dissolved it just uh i don't know it's i guess it was there it's something about it made sense to me that there was that there was a solitary aspect to the music and and you know a sort of isolated thing it was funny to start just doing it under my own name yeah. it was you know because the 90s were all about having this fake moniker right right you don't want to use your own name yeah. and it was like a um so there was something about i think there was something that i connected with doing it under my own name that pushed me 
more into the singer songwriter head. I, maybe it's a tough call. I don't know. You know, it's a, yeah. all these things are so long ago. Like I think <laughs> about these things and I really don't know. Like, how did you come to that? That doesn't seem like such a great idea. Why did you do that? You know? <laughs> well, one of the things I, I enjoyed listening to going back was the uh, dead river soundtrack. Oh, wow. How did, so how did that come about? Well, there was a guy in New Mexico who I'd never met and he was very interested in the, um, in the uh, train songs record, okay, and he approached me about using some of that, and then it, you know, and then it turned into me making the soundtrack for the movie. Oh wow! Which I have never actually seen the final cut of. <laughs> I don't know if the music actually made it to the movie or not, but I produced this <laughs> this this record for it to the, and it was fun to make because I was actually, and of course, I didn't have any of the. I didn't have my technical game very together, so I was doing it in a very haphazard way. But, you know, you were playing along to scenes and stuff, which is something I'd always wanted to do. Yeah. And it's and it kind of produced all this music. And some of it's pretty good. Some of it's kind of I'm not so sure about, but, <laughs> but it is a thing, you know. It's really interesting. I really I was listening to it today at work. And I oh, that's great. Really enjoying it, actually. Oh, good. Good. Your next, I guess, your next foray into film is more TV with side boob. <laughs> yeah, side boob. How yeah. did side? <laughs> how did, can you tell me a little bit about side boob and how how that came to be? How you got involved with that? Well, this is all Lyle Heisen's fault, and um, <laughs> uh, he, you know, he got this. There was this thing coming down the pipe where he works. They trying to find music for for shows and um, his company and uh, you know, and they were, and there was this character uh, Caputo who was supposed to have this band. Right. Right. And they kept, and the things that people kept coming up with were like these, you know, they were just too, they were all too young and good looking, ah. you know? <laughs> and, and so he literally sent them a picture of Tom with his a really crappy picture of Tom with his dog in his lap. And, uh, <laughs> and something else and they went for it you know but but we had you know tom had this studio and so we could produce the music as well and so wow. we would they would they would pitch us the lyrics and we would just write music for it which was fun oh cool okay so so this is for orange is the new black yeah. and for any for you know maybe somebody who doesn't realize what we're talking about but so the lyrics were already done you had to write music around the lyrics yeah yeah oh wow that seems backwards to me it was, but it was, it's very liberating actually. <laughs> and, you know, and the idea was it didn't have to be great cause it's a bar band, right. you know? And so, you know, but with the one, they sent the, uh, workers in the mine first and I was able to feel that pretty well.
because it just made sense to me and it was just so i mean like we couldn't believe how you know the lyrics are really kind of dumb in a yeah. kind of great way and um <laughs> you know so it was just fun and then but then we had to act yeah you know? <laughs> and that was really kind of horrifying oh so this <laughs> is this your first uh film credit probably well no i was in a towns van zam movie oh that's so right that shows up. yeah that's right but um but uh, yeah, it was the first, but it was definitely the first acting in front of real cameras and stuff. And, um, but Nick, the guy, and we ended up doing more with Nick cause he had to, he had to do, you know, they had to make him sing and stuff. And he really, he's like, I really can't sing. And he really couldn't. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, we worked with him and did stuff and it really, it really worked out. And he was so game and it was, you could see it was so difficult for him because as a, as an actor, it's, I think it's pretty easy for him yeah. now at this point, but he, uh, but he was actually a great, he was, he was a great hang. Just like his thing was totally cool. Yeah. And at what point did you start pursuing your master's in psychoanalysis? Well, that's a good question. I think it had to be five years ago or so. Okay. Think, roughly. It's been a long, it's been a while. I, yeah, I started my master's in something in a few years ago and I'm still not where I don't even remember what it is because I haven't worked Do you remember on it. what it is? No, I don't. <laughs> uh, I think it was something with marketing, but I don't remember. Uh, a lot of good that's going to do me. <laughs> so is that something you've always had an interest in or is that something based on the songwriting that, that piqued your interest? Well, I, you know, I've always, it's funny because I, my interest in it was always kind of because of surrealism. Okay. There was always, there, there was this real presence of psychoanalysis and in surrealism and um uh and you know and i was interested in woody allen movies you know yeah. so there's always a lot of psychoanalysis in there oh yeah and um but they're just weird ra random stuff like that and then i started uh i went to a place in the city uh because i was having some conflicts in my life and uh i uh went to a place that had a sliding scale you know, I'd heard about this place before. Okay. And, um, and I started doing that and something was going on and I couldn't figure out what it was. Definitely something was happening and things were changing in my life and things were changing, but I couldn't figure out how that was happening. And I think that's what got piqued my interest. Okay. You know, it just was like, what is going on here? Yeah. You know, and that place was in the basement of the, the, the Institute where I ended up going oh, okay now does the psychoanalysis the study of psychoanalysis does that ever intentionally creep into your your lyrics yeah i mean well i think even you know uh, unconsciously absolutely yeah <laughs> what about um, consciously consciously yeah well this whole new record about dreams and everything, you know, cause dreams are really important to psychoanalysis and, uh, what is a dream and what isn't and, and stuff like that. There was a lot of thinking about those things, but now, uh, it's funny. I tend to think about songs that were already written. I think in, I think about them in, you know, sort of somewhat psychoanalytical terms, just like a different perspective. Okay. Oh, so um, do you go back you know, and look at your old music in with a new light? Out, yeah. You know, and it's totally weird that it's <laughs> basically written and performed by a stranger and, and, uh, you know, and just like, well, that's really, wow. I couldn't, I could do that again. Or that's how I, that's that it's really interesting to me. And I, I get a kick out of it. It's, 
that's the nice thing about making things is you go back and you, you can see them later. Yeah. You know, after, after a few years go by, you have a lot more appreciation for them, I think. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned the new album. I found I, I dreamed a dream, and you kind of got back together with a couple of your guys from Two Dollar Guitar. Was that the plan from the start? Uh, so you, you you got back Jerry Wilms and uh, and Christina, which you you've mentioned, right? Yeah. Was that the plan? Well, I know we know Christina wasn't the really the plan. That was a lucky happenstance. But was it kind of the plan to do an album? with Jeremy or was that again? Well, Jeremy's been, uh, Jeremy was on the last one too. Okay. He was on fucking love songs. And you fed me your heart still Jeremy was super integral to this one because he had been doing all this composition work. And so I, I hit him up to do the, the string arrangements on this. And, and, um, and that's, so there are these really big, really abstract, um, well, not really abstract, but I asked for something kind of modern or, you know, I didn't have to say much. I don't know what I asked for. I think I said three <laughs> words and he got it immediately and came back with these things that were perfect. So he was, you know, he's the arranger on, on this thing. And so it's really much more of a, you can really feel him in this thing, but I, but I've been working with Jeremy pretty much the whole time. Okay. So he has never gone away. Brian also, I've been working steadily, you know, in live situations and, and on the last record and stuff for a long time. Both of those guys are sort of solid. Brian Cantor. Yeah. 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 He's just, he's, playing the drums on the album. And uh, I tell you, this album is, I liked it when I first heard it. And every time I listen to it, it's growing on me more and more. And it's really good. I love the opener once, the little the plucked strings. No, it's just, that's a beautiful, beautiful opener. made love to the most beautiful of all lonely women in the world like a dream it seems so real and the whole album all the strength it's very lush i really yeah. love the yeah, strength yeah. on it yeah oh yeah it's he did it's incredible and the people we got to play on it were just you know, it's just really just a couple people, but they're kind of doing the whole section, and they just amazing players. Like yeah. I knew, I knew, I know, I knew Megan from work. Actually, I worked at a guitar store, and I knew she was good. You know, yeah. I knew she was she was working a lot. I knew she was good, but I I've been in a lot of studio situations with string players, and she's just insanely good. I mean, nobody could believe it. Everybody that was there were just like, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, to 
play violin in a recording situation. Oh, know, yeah. The, the, the control is just, and she's stacking harmonies, and it, wow. it was something. Yeah, it was great. So when did you actually start writing the album? God, I think it was probably <laughs> about five years ago. Probably, probably, yeah, probably about five years ago. Okay, okay. All right, so... Going back to some of the tracks, because I've got a few other questions about writing the album, but I want to I want to wait for a minute. Okay. The first four songs kind of lull me into a nice sense of, we'll say security, and then "Remember Me" comes out with this really up tempo, new wavy bass. the The album is very orchestral and American, kind of an Americana feel to the the very first the first four tracks, yeah. and then. Then Remember Me comes out with this new wave bass line and the beautiful Americana style guitar and strings. And I wasn't expecting that bass. That was really cool. change of pace on that yeah 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 it was um and that song had you know had begun its life as sort of a twee um you know old english ballad kind of thing oh wow and, um uh but you know the crowd rock thing just you know snuck in there <laughs> it was really good <laughs> and those guys were just like like they, on that song you know, Brian and Jeremy, like the, the, that playing, you know, uh, it just is astounding. Like to keep that kind of propulsion going like that is really something. Oh yeah. And it, it's, it's a steady beat going through that whole thing. It doesn't, it, it's, it's rock solid. Yeah. He's, they're, they're, they're nuts. They're nuts. They're way above my pay grade. Really. <laughs> and then you flipped it on me and you roll it right into wake up, yeah. which I, that's, that's my favorite track on the album. <laughs> well, that's good. Absolutely. That's a lot about you. <laughs> it does. I think it does. Uh, and I'll be putting the clip in here so people understand that one.
but I wasn't expecting that at all. It was, it's got this badass riff. I love that, that guitar line. And it's, there's not a lot of instrumentation to it, but this, it, the lyrics are awesome. And it sounds like there's a really interesting story behind it. You want you want the story? I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually from a that that started with a real with a real dream. Oh wow! So um, so there really was a dream where somebody came to me and said, "It's done. I'm gone." You know. Yeah. And uh, and it was about a situation that was happening in real life. You know. And so then it just is, uh, you know, it just is a a pretty basic blues number about about um death and uh you know how things are are you know what was a dream what you know you thought some was but it's gone now and okay. the you know i don't know if i you know and of course it's about whatever you think it's about what do you think it was about uh i i had a oh i had a situation early in life that i wish I had heard this song when I was in the middle of it. So that's good. That would, that would, it would have helped me out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, I, and that one just sort of came together. And then uh, likewise, the recording came together. It was just a live recording, you know? Oh, awesome. And so it's just, it's good. It's good the way it went that way. And it was, you know, and I, strangely enough, I always, I always wanted to try to make a song like that. Oh yeah. You know, you know, yeah. Like it was pretty much a lot of, there's a few guys that I listened to a lot that I would like, that I'll never be that, but that I could at least sort of take a shot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So recording the album, did you do, I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you did at least part of it throughout this pandemic. No, no. I mean, well, there was some, there was some mixing and some, some, uh, stuff done remotely, like here at my house. And I don't know how much of that, there was an actual one day going into the studio, sitting with Tom and doing some final adjustments during the pandemic, but the tracking was done the, the original, the basic tracking was done a long time ago, but then all these overdub strings and Christina and stuff happened sort of in different places at different times. Okay. The, the strings happened in the studio, except for Dan. He did his remotely. So, um, is that, is that difficult to do when you have so many different parts, like, like a, an orchestral piece that you're trying to put into, uh, you know, like a five minute track and you've got all these different elements going on. Is it hard to tell somebody what you want when they're doing it remotely and, and have it come out the way you want it to? Well, Dan, had worked with Jeremy a lot. Like those guys work together a lot. And Dan is just a ridiculously good player. So, so Jeremy was able to explain that very well. Okay. Um, and it's, I mean, it's all difficult. It's all difficult, but if you're, you know, it, the thing is, is if this is what I rely on, if you, if you're, if you choose really good people, you don't have to give much direction. That makes sense. That's a good point. You know, and like they, they're all, they pick up or they provide, they have a little of what you're looking for. So they're, they're bringing it, you know, like, like with Brian, well, with any of these people, they just is, you know, you sort of, 
say a little thing like not that not that maybe something like this and they have a feel for where it is and they give you not only what you were looking for but so much more you know yeah so. i can't decide and that that the song not i'm not just i'm not saying yeah. that so people have this awesome drone at the end How did you do that? Because I love that's Jeremy. That. That's Jeremy. So that is, um, that is, he's just doing this fuzz bass. So oh, he's okay. doing that on fuzz bass. And that is also that piece of music that's on the end there that he extrapolated out of those sections that became the instrumental that is the second song on the record. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I and dreamed. So and so there's this weird reversal, uh, you know, wow. just a loop, a little loop. Yeah, oh, that's it's awesome. cool. But he, yeah, he is, um, yeah, it was some, I can't remember what, what the chain on his bass was, but it was really fuzzy and he was just, just built that thing. That is, that is so cool. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, but it, it goes with the whole album. I mean, there's a great like, classic old sound to the instruments i mean do you do you use a lot of vintage instruments or are you using newer stuff um it's it's a lot of actually older or at least you know even if we're we're all guys that even if we're buying something new it's it's something that is made to emulate or it's modified to emulate something old usually you know like the drum kit was i can't remember if it's brian's kit or it was this new kit that Tom had in the, I can't remember, but, but anyway, it's, and really it's the, um, you know, like I was using, I used the same guitar in the whole record and it was, it's an old guitar. Okay. Um, but it's really the players that make stuff sound old. Okay. You know, like Brian, (laughs) it doesn't matter if he, Brian sounds pretty vintage, no matter what he's playing. Likewise, Jeremy sounds pretty, they can sound really mod. Yeah. If they, they both have played in some really mod, edgy stuff but but they their fingers are old yeah <laughs> very old experienced brian's got yeah. a really old foot yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you okay so you mentioned drums you've got a few tracks like in my dreams the drums on that it sounds like it's an old drum machine Is that what that is? It's a oh god yes, it's a very old drum machine. It's a, it's an old uh, uh, Baldwin from a from a um, an old keyboard thing that okay. I got from Jeremy actually. Yeah, 
Okay, because I was going to say, it sounds like my grandmother had an old organ kind of thing that she would play oh, yeah. and would have a couple pre-programmed drum beats, like a bossa nova and all kinds of, and she would just play on this organ and have a blast. That must have been awesome. Oh, it was great. My, my grandmother was... A, She's a, she played piano very well, and uh, I'm really angry because she had uh, this really awesome. And I can't I can't play piano at all, but um, she had an old organ. I don't remember what kind it was, but she also had two Steinways, and wow. they're gone. And wow. no idea whatever happened to those. I blame my cousins. Yeah, I think they took them, sold yes. them for nefarious purpose. Now my cousins are actually yeah. good, but I do think they took them. Just yeah. in case they're listening, you guys owe me. Yeah, we know. Has the past year changed how you work at all? Uh, have you been working on anything new beyond the new album? Um, I've do I'm doing. I've been doing these experiments and getting things together. I, I I have another little record that I'm going to put out that's sort of like side effects. That is uh, going to be talk about found sounds. It's just stuff I found like out experimenting with different sort of recordings and stuff like that. Oh, so cool. that's, you know, so I, I'm always doing that kind of junk and trying to make it all a little more finished and it's all it's kind of soundtracky, you know, kind of shapeless. But, uh, I lately I've gotten really involved in making the videos for this, for this, uh, record. Oh, so cool. I, I, you know, figured out how to use green screen and stuff and it's really absurd. Oh, so I'm awesome. doing these ridiculous videos <laughs> and, uh, so that's that. That's been really compulsive. That's awesome. Fun, yeah. <laughs> when uh, hopefully you know, it looks like maybe things might start opening up again soon. Yeah. Are you going to be taking the show on the road for the new album? I don't know. I it's funny because the new you know job and everything. I don't know uh, how that's going to work, and I haven't really truly toured. We've done little things. I haven't really 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 toured in, in years um i don't know it's funny i've gotten to this point there's there's this place that i've discovered in town that's the sisera gallery which this guy isa runs and uh it's this crazy place like it's this wonderful gallery just chock full of surreal stuff but it's also a um venue and so i played there and, and there's something about playing there to a few people it seems very old like not very old but like something like something from the 80s in new york or something but um oh cool it's there's something very satisfying about that and that does a lot for me as far as playing live but i'm sure i'll end up doing some things i don't i really don't have a plan about that yeah keeping it local then new jersey maybe new i don't know i i mean it's I have no idea. It's sort of <laughs> I think it's going to, the, the record will probably dictate that. Okay. Like if I get invitations to go someplace or something like that, then I can build something around that. It's re I really have no, uh, no concept of that anymore. And I really yeah. don't know what it's like out there anymore. Nobody and does. Especially this after this year. But I yeah. mean, even, even rolling up to this year, like everybody I knew, they were doing a lot of house parties and a lot of, you know, there aren't oh. the, there aren't the clubs that there used to be. For, yeah. That's for really, yeah, that's a really good point. Even before the pandemic shut everything down, a lot of the, the smaller places don't exist yeah. like they used to. Yeah. That's really sad. 
But well, where can people find the album? And and at this point, I'm. It'll be a few weeks before this comes out, so. Um, uh, um, not sure if they'll be able to uh, pre-order it or order it at the yeah. Stage. You can pre-order it. Uh, it'll it'll be up on the um, the Card Horse Records website, but it's also be it, there'll be a link to it on my website. You can uh, there'll be a link to it on my uh, two dollar guitar Instagram. There's there it's on Bandcamp. There's going to be vinyl and CDs also. Oh, awesome. um, so my name on Bandcamp will put you there. I dreamed a dream. All right. know. And that's already up. So you can do pre-orders now. Oh, cool. And yeah. is, what's the, the uh, social media presence? You have a, you said you have a website. You have, uh, what's the Instagram? I have a website. I have Instagram and I have, uh, um, Instagram is $2 guitar. Okay. And, uh, but if you put in my name, it comes up. And I've, I'm on Facebook. I'm not very good at Facebook anymore, but I'm trying to put stuff up there. <laughs> and, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Parabolic Chamber where I've been putting up some, that's something else I've been doing. I'm putting up some old movies I made from the eighties. And so I'm going to be putting up some more. Oh, cool. So these videos will end up there after they premiere. So. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. Well, Tim, thank you so much, man. This has been a great well, thank time. You. I really do appreciate your time. And, and uh, I was a little nervous starting this because of your, the expanse of your career and all the different things you've done. So I, I really appreciate you helping me work my way through it. Well, you're easy to talk to it. It's, it you know, it's a good, uh, you, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot of little things. Day is done. The day was long. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.